Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard? It is Friday, September 4th here in Omaha, Nebraska. A beautiful morning. Man, we've had about two or three of those cool, quasi-fall-like, crisp mornings. Sunshine, I absolutely love that. So it looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. Um, I'm sitting here with Sasha. It's just me and Sasha today. She's taking over for Pat because he's he's a big shot now. I think he all he does is sit in the office now and do that kind of stuff. So... Sasha's helping me out. Just me today. Uh, we are going to cover one more OSHA short. Uh, I've got one left, and uh, for those of you that are counting, you'll you'll know that I'm on number nine. There are actually ten most frequently cited, but um, we combined a couple. So this will be our last OSHA short of the uh, most frequently cited OSHA violations. Uh, as always, I want to thank my sponsors before we get started. CCS Group, Con- Custom Concrete Specialists, Safety Reports, the Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation group, medical enterprises, and uh, our most recent addition to the sponsorship list, Mid-America Martial Arts. Uh, let me just say a word quickly about each one of these sponsors. I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping that you will visit their website or give them a call, you know, look into these companies. Um, I'm really actually proud of the fact that all of my sponsors are incredibly dedicated to their to their uh, tasks to their jobs and functions um, really remarkable people good people to know so I, I hope you will take the time to check out their websites or learn more about each of these sponsors um, I was on a CCS group project this week uh, custom concrete specialists they refurbish old concrete grain elevators in large part that was incredible I've never seen anything like that before uh, riding a suspended scaffold inside one of those 120-foot elevators while these guys are shooting shotcrete all over the walls to realign it. It was really fantastic. They did a great job, and, um, man, they really uh, pay special attention to safety on the project, so I was really impressed. Safety reports. uh, One thing I'll say about safety reports, Steve and Chet, Eric, all the folks at Safety Reports, uh, they are committed to customer service. Um, I would not recommend these companies to my clients if I didn't think they would be getting treated uh, treated well. And uh, Steve and all the folks at Safety Reports uh, do that for you. Nebraska Department of Labor, Labor Jim Cover. If you are one of those uh, employers that are reluctant to call the government, you're, you're not sure you want to get on the radar, so to speak, um, I would encourage you to give Jim a call, talk to him about what you might need. If you're a small business this service was developed especially for you. They do a great job, and Jim is certainly one of the most pragmatic, um, decent, committed safety guys I've ever worked with. I know he, he's not looking to bind anybody up. He just wants to make sure that you get what you need. And so if you are reluctant to do that, call him, speak with him about what he, they might be able to do for you, and I would encourage you to pursue having one of the consultants come on site for you. Medical Enterprises, uh, Lou DeMauro and the folks at Medical Enterprises. I think convenience might be the most important thing about what they do. Obviously, good service, but coming on site to do these things uh, really makes it much less disruptive to your business, whether that be um, medical evaluations or fit testing or audiometry, any of those things. Um, I think just the convenience of having them come to you is remarkable. And then finally, Mid-America Martial Arts, my good friend Aaron Cerrone, um, all of the folks over at Mid-America Martial Arts. Um, you know, this is really about community. It's a great group of people. 
I know there are certain people that have kind of stigmatized martial arts and I by no means think of myself as a martial artist. I just, I love the exercise. I love the community. Um, there is a certain amount of confidence that comes with that type of workout and that activity. So again, check all these sponsors out, please take a minute, visit their websites or give them a call. Um, I know they would appreciate it and I would certainly appreciate it as well. So, uh, moving on, uh, just a couple of observations before we get started with our most frequently cited discussion. Um, I am, I am on a panel for the AGC next week. We are talking about. COVID and its effect on construction, uh, the general contractor, subcontractor relationship. And one of the questions that we were asked as panelists was to discuss perhaps, you know, what we see in the future going forward. And um, I think that's, that's a really an interesting question. My, my personal hope is that, that this unfortunate circumstance will increase our focus and emphasis on personal hygiene, um, hand washing in particular. I, I don't know about you, but, um, I still, <laughs> this is the, maybe this isn't even appropriate for this. Uh, but I still go into restrooms all the time. Um, uh, and guys are not washing their hands. It just drives me insane. You would think that particularly under these circumstances, when we're so concerned about transmission and contamination and things like that, that, that we would have um, really heightened our emphasis on personal hygiene. Um, I see it in some places, certainly um, on construction sites where, where we provide sanitizer and we try to provide running water and things like that so the guys can you know, keep their hands clean. Um, in, in industrial settings where we have access to running water, uh, with no hindrance. Um, but man, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm still somewhat shocked that not more people, uh, take that specific element of this seriously. So, um, I am hoping that going forward, if nothing else, if nothing else good comes from this experience, that, that heightened personal hygiene, I mean, I I think it impacts everything we do. It certainly impacts all disease transmission, uh, in large part, so I'm I'm hopeful that uh, and and I will say that I appreciate people not breathing down my neck when I'm standing in line somewhere. You know, I like people to be six feet behind me, regardless of the circumstances. Uh, and I and so I'm hopeful that maybe things like personal hygiene, some degree of social distancing. I I, I hope the, those things persist. And so um, yeah, enough said. Maybe that was an inappropriate uh, place to go, but anyway. Um, so the OSHA short today, the last of the OSHA most frequently cited has to do with scaffolding. All right, we've talked about things like fall protection, hazard communication, lockout, tagout, PPE, machine guarding. The last of the topics that we're going to cover is scaffolding, and this is primarily uh, a construction phenomenon. Uh, the, the citation is a 1926 construction standard that is most frequently cited in the sub-elements I'll discuss here in a moment. As I think we mentioned this in the beginning, one of the reasons these things are most frequently cited is because OSHA emphasizes them when they come on to projects. There is a reason why these things are repeatedly cited most frequently, okay? OSHA's programming, typically their emphasis programs, tend to focus on these elements, and so they do get a lot of attention, 
scaffolding is no different. Here in Region 7, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, and Missouri, um, OSHA has a program, a regional emphasis program, that's referred to as Falls, Scaffolds, and um, Overhead Power Line Electrocution Hazards. And so the way OSHA targets most construction inspections, at least here in this region, is by visualization or observation of one of these hazards or potential hazards. So if an OSHA compliance officer or an OSHA official, anyone working for the agency would happen to drive by a job site and they can see from the road or from public access, you know, the potential for a fall hazard or there are scaffolds in use on that site or even overhead power lines where there might be an issue with contact by material handling equipment, cranes, uh, something like that. OSHA has the authority to stop and make an inspection. And so, for one thing, you know, these are the things that get them onto the project. Those are the things that are most frequently cited. It makes perfect sense. The issue with scaffolds is that if the scaffold is in use, it's either during erection or dismantling or there are employees working on a scaffold, they don't actually have to see a hazard, per se, to get on site. They just have to see the scaffold in use. And so, again, um, those things are going to draw quite a bit of attention and ultimately receive a lot of citations. And so I think we just need to be cognizant of the fact that, particularly in construction, there are certain things that can draw an OSHA compliance officer's attention. Um, so let me, I'm going to read the subparts that are most frequently cited, and these will probably be no surprise to you. First most frequently cited is each employee on a scaffold more than 10 feet above a lower level shall be protected from falling to that lower level. So we're talking about guardrails, okay? Uh, the trigger height on a scaffold is 10 feet. You know, the, the, the general fall protection requirements start at 6 feet, but on scaffolding it, it is deferred to 10 feet. But it is easy from the road or from any, any access point to see whether or not a scaffold has guardrails on it. And you can generally estimate based on the number of sections, you know, whether you're at 10 feet or not. Ultimately, you can measure that once you're on site. But guardrails are something that are easily observed from the road and, and something that OSHA cites frequently. Number two refers to access. How are the employees accessing that scaffold? Are they climbing the cross braces, which is not acceptable, or are they using some other means of access? A ladder, a stair tower, hook-on ladder, portable ladder, you know, some means of access, and is that being used appropriately? Um, and so, that again, that's something that you can typically see from the road or some public access point, all right? So keep that in mind. Again, these are things that we are that we are looking for as, as the compliance officers are looking for um, from, from the road. Number three, is the working level fully planked? Okay, that's part of the requirement. Each platform on all working levels of scaffolds shall be fully planked or decked between the front uprights and the guardrail supports. And so if, if there is one pick on that working level, that's a problem, okay? I mean... Uh, the regulation states that we're allowed to have one inch between picks or, or scaffold planks uh, with a maximum, I think, of nine and a half inches of undecked surface area on that working level. But it's very common for me, even now uh, on job sites, to see one pick in place on the working level, and that is definitely a citable condition. Um, 
Number four most frequently cited would be base plates and mud sills. You know, basically talking about an adequate foundation for the scaffold to make sure that, and you know, base plates are almost always required. Mud sills, certainly, if there's any possibility of, you know, uh, the, you know the the pipe or or the uh, base plate penetrating into the dirt. Maybe the the soil is not compacted. You know, unless you're working on top of um, stable flat concrete, you are going to probably require a mud sill under most circumstances. So stable foundation. And then the last one would be an adequate guardrail system. So not, not just the absence of guardrails, but having a suitable guardrail system in place. You know, top rail, mid rail, verticals. Um, on a scaffold, you're going to probably have three, if not all four sides guardrailed in. Okay, but don't forget the ends of the scaffold. Those oftentimes go unprotected. Uh, the back of the scaffold is typically well, oftentimes the only place that has an adequate guardrail in place. And then where, you know, where you're facing the work, there are some allowances for working without a guardrail in front of you as long as you are close enough to the work surface, um, you know, doing overhand brick laying, things like that, laying block, things of that nature. You may not have to have a guardrail in front of you, but there may be circumstances where you do. So, you know, those are the big five. And those are things that even a guy like me, who is by no means a scaffold expert, can identify fairly easily, and most compliance officers can identify those things. So fall protection, access, fully planked working surfaces, you know, a good foundation, base plates and or mud sills, and then adequate guardrails. I was on a site recently. It was interesting. There, there were three sections of scaffold, um, supported uh, scaffold, and I think on the second level, they were missing the cross braces. On the top level, they had cross braces, but no top rail. Uh, you, can, you can use cross bracing for one or the other, depending on how high, you know, where the cross um, occurs on that structure. But typically, a cross brace is not suitable for both the mid rail and the top rail. So keep that in mind as well. So, um, so again, scaffolding. You know, one of those things that OSHA emphasizes heavily, uh, keep, you know, be aware that um, just visualizing some of those issues can get OSHA onto your site. And so, um, you know, I mean, interior scaffolding, exterior scaffolding, whatever you're doing, just make sure that you are at least making sure that those elements are being met. Uh, And there's a lot more that goes into scaffolding than just those five things. But again, those are the things that OSHA seems to pick up on most readily and certainly cites most frequently, all right? So um, not much more to talk about there. Um, I am going to talk a little bit about training. One of the things, one of the the most frequently cited issues is fall protection training. And so when when Jeff Springer was in in the studio, we talked about, you know, the fall protection issues themselves and then the training. Um, I think when we, when we do training, and we'll, and we'll talk more about training in another episode, but recently I had one of the guys that does fall protection in this area, Jeff Springer, and there are no, numerous guys that do this, but Jeff came out to a project with me and um, did some hands-on training. Uh, we, we got the guys that were, you know, they were being trained. We they had about 12 guys at this particular project. We got them outside made a nice uh, socially distanced circle, and then Jeff kind of stood in the middle and was able to provide training on, you know, how to inspect personal fall arrest components, how to 
how to use them, how to connect them. He brought out a drop test uh, equipment so they could do drop testing, so they could visualize the difference in the fall arrest forces from uh, retractables to uh, standard lanyards, you know, with uh, with deceleration devices built in to lanyards without deceleration. I mean, it's really, I, I think it's a really fantastic way to do this training. Classroom training is so difficult for guys that actually work for a living to sit there and, and try to learn, you know, at, from a PowerPoint or, you know, on a whiteboard to get them out in the field and to put their hands on this stuff, to fit it themselves, to, you know, to watch these drop test scenarios and understand what we're talking about when we talk about arresting force. It's just, it just so much more effective, in my opinion, and not simply my, I mean, everybody believes that, everybody understands that, but just keep in mind that anything that you can do to get your employees hands on this equipment or when we're talking about safety to actually perform a lockout or to actually inspect a machine for guarding or to, you know, fall protection in particular, those types of things, maybe even scaffolding would be the same, you know, erect a scaffold and make sure all of these elements are being met so they can actually have hands on and see these things rather than just hear them in a classroom just so much more effective and, and uh, it was really well received by the employees. I think they all enjoyed it. I think they were all much more engaged and then, than they would have been had we been sitting in a classroom talking about it. So, you know, that's the last comment I wanted to make about this. So we are wrapping up the OSHA most frequently cited and we will move on to some additional OSHA shorts in the future. Um, keep sending me your requests for topics and comments. You know, Doug at FletcherSafety.com is my email address. I get lots, lots of questions come in when, I, when I'm going to have Aaron Cerrone on and we're going to talk about leadership. But if there are things that you want us to cover in an OSHA short, send me an email and let me know. Um, you can go to FletcherSafety.com, go to the website and check out what's the hazard. You know, we are constantly posting the episodes there. Um, we've got a nice gallery of photographs going up there as well. So, And all of the sponsors are, are listed on the website, all of their, their websites, uh, their um, information is posted there, so be sure to check that out. Otherwise, uh, we're going to wrap it up for the day. It's been a short episode, probably uh, appropriately so, maybe less painful. Uh, it is a holiday weekend, and so um, I hope everybody has a great weekend. It's supposed to be really scorching hot here in Omaha, so just be careful. Uh, remember that safety is personal. Um, you know, this is about people. What we do is... Um, you know, it should be personal. And so just keep that in mind and always focus on why we do this. Have a safe weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. A Parkville Media Production.